0: I want to talk about a passion for the lost. This is our missions month, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, 12, verse 3. This is our missions month, and uh, I want to just illustrate, it's a great illustration, I think, what one match can do. And you know, it may not look like much just to be one match, but... You, you ignite somebody else's life, you give them the gospel, and they give somebody else the gospel, you'd be surprised at how fast the gospel can spread. But we're, gonna, we're only going to do it when we have a heart for it. And that's what I would like you to ask God for this morning. Here in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and verse 3. <clears throat> Read it aloud with me, just this one verse, and then we'll get into it. Ready? But I would have you know... That the head of every, I'm sorry, it's 12. It should be 12.3. Yes, 12.3. 1 Corinthians, why is it? I'm not on the same planet today. I don't know where I am. It is 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. Here we go. 2 Corinthians eleven, three. 3. Read it with me now. Sorry. But I fear lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ." Who's talking? Who is writing this this scripture? It's the Apostle Paul, and he's writing to some Christians at Corinth, and he says, I'm worried, I'm panicking almost. He says, I'm afraid that just as the devil deceived Eve, so are Christians deceived about the simplicities in Christ we have allowed the devil to muck up our understanding of what we're supposed to be and do in this world. So I pray this morning you realize I'm not, uh, uh, realize that we need, we need to get back to the simplicity of caring about the lost. Let's pray. Father, bless these words from your word. Give me clarity of mind. And Lord, I pray that you take over and what would be said would be what you would say if you were here We dedicate this service to you, ask that you would speak to every heart. Don't let us take anything for granted. People may attend this church and yet not be saved, not born again. There may be plenty of Christians who put on a good show on a Sunday, but on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, live defeated, have no victory, have no joy, have no idea how to walk by faith, and have no compassion for the lost, or whatever you got to do, change us. Reach into our midst this morning, and may we never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Now, did you know that Satan does not care if you go to church? Couldn't care less. Satan doesn't care if you go to church every day of your life, and you know plenty of people years ago who used to do it every day. He doesn't care if you own a Bible, doesn't care if you own two or three. He really doesn't care if you even read a bit of it from time to time. He doesn't care how much you give of your money away. There are always good causes to give money to, aren't there? He does not care if you give your money away. Doesn't care how many prayers you repeat. As long as you don't seek to have a passion for souls, that's what breaks the mold. That's what changes the world. Because as long as you just stay like everybody else, he will be happy. If, if um, well, let me just hold that thought. Satan promises to leave you alone. You say, I wish the devil would leave me alone. Here's how. This is a guarantee a way to stay, to keep him to stay away from you. That is, if you decide that you're not going to do the will of God from the heart and that you're going to stay, uh, um, well, I could, I, you'll, you'll not do the will of God and want to know the heart of God. <clears throat> if you'll say, I'm, I'm not going to do what God asked me to do, I'm just, I'm just going to, Hide. I'm just going to stay normal like everybody else. He will leave you alone. I got news for you, though. Let me give you a little update. If you do that, the devil may leave you alone, but the Holy Spirit won't. And I would rather have the devil against me than God. All right. So guess what the will of God is and what the heart of God is all about. You ready? The will of God and the passion of God is that is is completely and perfectly connected to the reaching of the world around us, with the gospel that reached us. God never wills for anyone to do anything that does not tend to the winning of the loss. I don't care if you're an astronaut. It doesn't matter if you're a chemist or a a lawyer or a singer. God God has all kinds of, of designs for people in this life. But he never willed for you to do that without the desire to use that to win the lost. Amen. You do not, listen, boys and girls, when you are in Sunday school and you're in church and you're at home and you're learning the Bible and you're being taught Bible verses and you're singing gospel songs, and then all of a sudden you go to college and you switch off. And you say, that's it. I'm, 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 I'm now going on my own career. Let me tell you, that is when you're supposed to shine. That is when you're supposed to be strong in the Lord. That's when God calls you to be a Daniel in the lion's den. Not when you quit. Because God, you say, well, I don't want to be a missionary. You don't have to be a missionary, but you have to have a passion for the lost. Whatever you do, does that make sense? Now, the truth is, we believers are on a great rescue boat. <clears throat> We've been plucked from sin and its punishment from the wrath of God. We've been plucked out of the angry waves of this life and been put into the rescue ship of Christ Jesus himself. As many as be in Christ, to them gave ye power to become the sons of God. <clears throat> but being in that ship, I want to reach out and I want to rescue the perishing. I want to rescue those that are lost and drowning and wondering where God is. And they'll never find God unless you tell them. They're not going to find it usually on on the internet because 99 billion other sites will come up before the true gospel. So they need us to care. We may be in safety, but they're perishing. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believed in him should not what? So when I don't know Jesus Christ, when I have never, ever cried out to him to save a wretch like me, I'm perishing just as, just as deadly as a storm and nobody's going out there to rescue them. To have a passion for souls puts you and I at great risk. Yeah, a little bit of risk compared to the rest of the world, but willing to do it because of the perishing, dying in their sin. Now, <clears throat> By way of background, let me say this word passion is a wonderful, wonderful word. It, it, it means a powerful or compelling emotion, a desire to love or to have something. Another way of describing it is a deep emotion that drives beyond limitations and fears. Some people are passionate about success in business and they'll risk all their money. They'll risk years of their life in order to make some money in order to be a success in marketing in the success in business some people are passionate about developing their talent you ever met anybody who just loved cooking and they don't care how many pieces of people they poison along the way they just love cooking they're passionate about it some people are passionate about athletics they go into sports and they know the odds are against them ever being any good at it But they try and they strive and they fail and they get up and they go on. They're passionate about it, aren't they? Still others, some others, are passionate about following Jesus Christ. I like hanging around those kind of people. But Christians have been given some new passions, good passions. New emotions that every once in a while need to be stirred up again. Because they grow cold over time. One of those passions that the Lord gave us was for the lost to get saved. You know, I don't know about you, but a born-again a Christian, a born Christian has a strange, compelling desire that you have to tell somebody about Jesus. You didn't do that before you were a Christian. But boy, when you got saved, you couldn't believe it. How, well, how come you're not saved? How come you're not going to church? <clears throat> This new drive in Christians is a joyful willingness to look and sound like a fool when you're talking about Jesus. You didn't care. This new passion yearns to pursue someone until they get saved, never giving up. That's a passion. It's a love of the gospel itself. You love telling it over and over. I've been, in in my 39 years of being a Christian, and I say it to to, to, to warn you that I've only been handed a gospel tract twice in my life. And the second person who ever did it, I hugged. The first person who did it, I got mad at. Because <laughs> I, I didn't want to hear the gospel. But she, my spiritual mom, who I just got to see back this past weekend, Maureen and Jack Smith, but she upset me, she aggravated me, she dared me to come out to church. Everything about her was so aggravating, but I'm born again because of her having a passion for lost people like me. And I hug her now, but the second person, I was at a shop like Tesco over in America. It's called Walmart. You ever heard of Walmart? It's a huge, huge mega store. I was in Walmart looking for shirts. search. This guy came up to me and says, do you know where you're going when you die? I hugged him. <laughs> I'm still waiting for number three. Or number four, or number five. Some, I don't know what happened to us, but there ought to, there, there, there's supposed to be a desire to go and tell. And, you, and you, never get, you never get so old telling the good news. Because you loved what the gospel did for you. Amen? And you're not content to just watch others win souls, but you yearn to do it yourself. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that wineth souls is... Wise. Let me give you an example. <clears throat> How many know about American football? It's really a strange game when you know all the rules and everything. I think cricket is worse, but American football is kind of unique. But I'll tell you a little story. It's American college football, which I had to grow up with because my dad worked at the co- at a college, and so every Saturday, we, if we if the games were at home, we had to go watch the football game, and if it was away, we had to watch it on TV. It was just That was it. Okay, no debate. Well, there were two universities, uh, two colleges having a match, a game Luther Rice University and Alabama. In 1954, a guy named Tommy Lewis, I like Tommy Lewis, he was one of the, he was an Alabama player, and his team was losing. and he had begged his coach, he said to his coach, he said, coach, let me out on the field. Let me, let me help make a goal. And the coach says, no, Tommy, no, not yet. Tommy, I got enough guys out there. Tommy, just sit there. And Tommy's sitting on that bench. He has to sit on the sidelines. And he's saying, let me out there, coach. Come on, I can get a goal. And the coach kept telling him, no, sit there. And anyway. Uh, if you know anything about American football, they throw the ball. I don't call it a football, it should be air ball, because it's nothing but going in the air, but um, uh, they throw the football, it gets intercepted by the other team, by Rice University. And the guy is running, and all the other football players are trying to catch up with him to tackle him, but he's ahead, and he's running, and he's going down to the end. It's going to be, it's, it's, the game will be over. Well, Tommy there, he's sitting there watching. As this guy is running with the ball, he's not in the game, but for a moment, he snaps, he jumps, he leaps, and he (laughs) tackles the other guy, and the crowd goes crazy, the referees are throwing flags all over, the whole uh, stands with an uproar, what just happened? Tommy tackled out of the game, tackled the runner. (laughs) Oh boy, the referees all. He was, they, the, the point was given, the, the score was given to the other team. He was ashamed, he was embarrassed, but I like him. <laughs> I like Tommy because that is the heart of a Christian that says, we gotta do something. Even if everybody else says it's wrong, I wanna do something that wins a soul. Amen? I like that. Tommy Lewis is going on down in history. <laughs> American football, we need a passion for souls like that. Now, the fact is, this a passion for the lost is always present in other in new believers. A passion for the lost is always, I can tell you if you're saved or not. The moment a person gets saved, I shouldn't have to drag them to church. I shouldn't have to bribe them to get to read their Bible. I shouldn't have to force them to go out and go tell somebody about being saved. It is natural. As a matter of fact, Romans 10, 17 says, whosoever believeth on him should not be ashamed. There's nothing to be ashamed of being a Christian. And so you just, it's just when you, I don't know about you when you got saved, but when I did, and so many people I know, as soon as you got saved. You just told everybody, it cooled off quick because you found out nobody wanted to hear you, but it was in you. But here's the other fact, that passion that we used to have when we first got saved is most often lacking in old believers. You know why that is? Because Satan has worked overtime at ruining our passions, making sure that we're comfortable being critics. Quick to find fault. Well, I don't like that soul-winning program. Well, I don't like that tract. That's not my kind of tract. This generation, probably the last few generations, have been hypercritical of everything. And that's not of God. You know, God used a donkey. <laughs> he can use crazy things to win people to Christ. Everyone today is fighting each other. They're fighting people. They fight flesh and blood instead of by prayer and fasting, fighting the spiritual powers behind people. People are comfortable with their anger. They're comfortable with their lust. They're comfortable with their laziness. They they live covetous and even. They still hold on to alcohol and drugs. No wonder we don't care about the lost. So many Christians have What the Bible calls seared consciences. Listen to 1 Timothy 4. Now, the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. That's talking about Christians. Having their conscience seared, burned out. Watching stuff on television that 20 years ago would have made you run and hide, flush with color, and we're used to it. Past feeling. Satan has made it so that nobody wants to be persecuted as a Christian anymore. It's coming. This morning, I beg of you, I beg of you to get a passion for souls. So let's look at John chapter 1. I'll give you one powerful example of someone who got a passion for the lost. John chapter 1. Someone meets Jesus. We'll find out who he is in a moment. John chapter 1 and verse 22. I'm going to read 22 to 39, so just stay with me, and then we'll go back through it. Gospel of John chapter 1, verse 22. This is John the Baptist as he's been preaching. And the Pharisees come to him, and they say unto him, Who art thou? I mean, they're not being real nice about it. They're saying, Who do you think you are? That we may give an answer to them that sent us. What sayest thou of thyself? He, John the Baptist, said, I am simply the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. By the way, for anybody who thinks that repentance is not in the Gospel of John, there it is. Make your life easy for God, that's repentance, for God to work in your heart. And they which were sent were of the Pharisees, and they asked him and said unto him, Why baptizest thou then? if thou be not that Christ, nor Elias, neither that prophet. And John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there is standing one among you, whom ye know not. He it is who coming after me is preferred way before me, whose shoe latchet I am not worthy to unloose. These things were done in Bethabara, beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, and I believe he cried out with a loud voice, Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me. For he was before me, and I knew him not. I never knew who he was until right now. But that he should be made manifest to Israel, therefore am I come baptizing with water. And John bare records, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him, and I knew him not. But he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said to me, upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same as he which baptizes not with water, but with the Holy Ghost." That's salvation. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. Verse 35, again the next day after John stood, and two of his disciples this time with him and looking upon Jesus as he walked he saith again behold the lamb of god and the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus now and then Jesus turned and saw them following and saith unto them who what seek ye they said unto him rabbi which is to say being interpreted master where dwellest thou where are you staying where are you living and he saith unto them, I love these next three words, and I hope you circle them because you're going to need those three words in a few minutes. Come and see. And they came and they saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day for it was about the tenth hour. Someone met Jesus that day. John the Baptist was busy preaching. He's was preaching repentance, by the way, to a massive crowd that gathered to hear him. And he pointed out Jesus. Twice he says, there he is. There he is again. Hmm. And he pointed out and he says, He's the Messiah. He's the Son of God, come in the flesh. He's the Lamb of God. All pointing to him being the Savior of the world. He, he, just, he just was overwhelmed with who, what this one person was kind of plain looking. Didn't stand out among the crowd. God didn't tell him, The guy that you see with a halo on his head, that's no, didn't say that. Anybody looked at Jesus would look like just everybody else. But John said, That's the one. Now, two disciples of John ran after Jesus now. Isn't that awesome? Look back there in verse 35. Again, the next day after John stood and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he says, Blurts out to everybody here, Behold the Lamb of God. And those two disciples, when they heard John speak, they decided to follow who? That's amazing. Great preaching makes people run after Jesus and follow him. When you go to a church or you go to a meeting and you get enamored by a personality or you get attracted to a new career or you find an investment opportunity, you're wasting your time. Great preaching, any speaker who speaks the truth, and speaks from the Bible, the one thing that you'll come away was not, what a great speaker, but, wow, I want to follow Jesus. Do you know John the Baptist lost every one of his disciples? Everyone that had hung around to listen to John as he preached about Jesus, they all left. (laughs) I mean, it hurt John, okay? It wasn't that easy to do. He had had the largest ministry you could ever imagine. He had tens of thousands of people who came out to hear him and to get right. And then when he pointed to Jesus, they all left. And Jesus called him the greatest success ever. Now here's the point. Andrew was one of those that decided to follow Jesus. Now, <clears throat> it's kind of cute. They wondered where he would sleep that night. And you know, they, and we're all the same, we have our life all tidied out, even. I mean, these guys are listening to John, but when they decided to follow Jesus, they're wondering, where are we going to sleep tonight? And Jesus didn't say, oh, I, I'm, I'm, at the, I'm booked at the hotel. Didn't say that. He said, don't worry. I, I Listen, I give you money. You can go take care. No, he just said, as you follow me, you'll see. And that's faith. Isn't that marvelous? From the very start, Andrew, as he started to follow, he started to be concerned. Uh, I, I, I used to know where I was sleeping. I knew, used to know I was going to eat. We'd have food, but I don't know anything now. i just, I just following you. And Jesus said, this is the Christian life. You're going to get to see it by faith, day by day. Nothing is going to be laid out ahead of you. There's no way to plan my will for your life. You're just going to have to decide to do it. Isn't that marvelous? Hmm. Jesus just told them to come along and see for themselves and start living by faith now. And that's his challenge to us. So someone named Andrew met Jesus. But someone got a passion for the lost. Look back there in verse 29. The next day, John see of Jesus. Well, I don't want to do all that. Let me quickly run ahead. Uh... We'll start with verse 37. <clears throat> and the two disciples heard him speak and they followed him. Then Jesus turned and saw them following and saith unto them, What seek ye? Now what is what is first on Andrew's mind is where are we sleeping tonight? <laughs> Which is okay. I'd like to see you figure out how to be more spiritual than that. Because if you just left your own house and you're hundred miles away and there's there's no hotels, there's no plans, no money, you'd be wondering too. Jesus said, Come and see. Now, verse 40 is a pickup. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew. We know him as Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted, the Christ. Verse 42, And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld Peter, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. I want you to see what actually happened. Someone ran off without a warning. His name was Andrew. He ran to where his brother Peter was, and he dragged him. I can uh, can imagine dragging him to meet Jesus. Andrew does four things, and this is in your Bible. The first thing he thought about his brother Peter. You know, he first starts to wonder, where are we going to sleep? And then he thinks about his brother. And that's a good thing, to think of others instead of just yourself. Then, you know, his brother is not one of these, we think Peter is this awesome spiritual giant. Not at first. You know what Peter wanted? Fish. You know what Peter loved doing? Fishing. You know what you would find Peter doing? Fighting. Over fish. It's just that was his nature. So, Andrew says, I gotta go get Peter. And off he goes. He, he, he thought of his brother. He ran and sought Peter. Had to go find him. You know, not everybody's in church, are they? Sometimes you have to go find people. He then taught Peter. What did he say to Peter? We found the Messiah. The Messiah is a big term, it's something that every human heart, whether Religious or non-religious. Everybody's looking for a Savior. Somebody who can fix the problem. Somebody who's bigger than all the problems. Somebody who is right and just and good. Every human heart is looking for a Messiah. And Andrew says, we found him. you got to come meet him. And then he brought him. He thought, he sought, he taught, and then he brought. Boy, that's complicated, isn't it? No, you don't have to go to Bible college, you don't have to be in university to understand evidently, Andrew's being our example here. Now, what are the qualifications of this soul winner here? Well, I find in Andrew, I find a disciple. He's already a disciple himself. If you're not saved, you're not born again, I got news for you, you're probably not going to tell anybody else how to get saved. Amen? But anyone who has been born again, saved by the blood of the crucified one, and just is living the life that Jesus called them to, well, they'll be the only people who go and tell. It starts in your own personal relationship with the Lord. Do you have one? Or is church the only thing you do? If this is the only time of spirituality, let me tell you, hell is going to be a long, long, long trip. You need more than that. So be a disciple of the Lord Jesus. Secondly, you need a prepared heart. Today there's too much education, so much information, and yet very little preparation of our heart. 2 Chronicles 12, 14 says this, And he, this king Ahab, did evil because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. That's a crazy negative. The reason why he sinned wasn't because, oh, because temptation was so great. He didn't sin because it was so easy to sin. He sinned because he didn't prepare his heart to seek the Lord. And the one main reason that I don't care about the lost is because I don't get my heart to care. I don't prepare my heart to care. By nature, I won't care. And if I don't prepare my heart, if I don't keep my heart soft, if I don't keep my heart submissive to God's heart and to his will, I won't care. Prepare your heart. Love preaching. John the Baptist must have been the hardest preacher you'd ever meet. I don't think John ever preached a nice message. I mean, you know how he greeted his visitors? All right? He'd go up to them and said, uh, I don't want to freak anybody out. Let me find somebody I can freak out. You know how? Yeah, hold on. Hold on. You know how he greeted visitors to come? He'd take their hand. Hold on. And he wouldn't let them go. And he said, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? That's how he greeted his visitors. <laughs> but Andrew loved it. Andrew loved somebody who preached the truth and preached it straight. And somebody who would who would work him over and humble him. Not personally, I'm just going to tell all your sins, Andrew. That wasn't John's business. But John preached, and Andrew loved it because he knew that's how nations get turned to God. That's how families get put together again. Love preaching. He was aware of people who were not with him. What's the qualification of a soul winner? Look around saying, there's so many more people who could be here. Especially my family. Especially people who who ought to know and ought to see change in my life, and yet they are blind to what happened in my life. Have a burden for your family. Be aware of who's not sitting next to you, who should be here every week. Amen who should be able to sit with you as you open the Bible and read it together at home. A soul winner is aware. Peter's not here. i got to go get Peter. Amen? Make the kingdom of God your priority. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not buildings, it's not armies, it's not politics, it's people. And when we seek his kingdom, we're seeking to fill it with people. Amen? Make it a priority. And you're going you to be confident of the entire Bible. Oh, I've got to master the entire Bible, Pastor, before I go soul winning. You'll never go soul winning. Master one great truth. That Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the Messiah. And I found him. As a matter of fact, he found me. <laughs> Amen. Just be confident that he is the Son of God. He is the Lamb of God. He's the Savior of the world. Just be confident. And be willing to compel. He had, I. He had to go and get the word. There is. He had to bring Peter. Now Peter's probably got a, a load of fish there. He's probably fished all night. He wants to go to bed. He wants to take those fish, get them ready for a market. He does not want to go hear some religious rabbi. But Andrew's not going to let him go. He's, a passion for the law. Says I'm going to go after them, and I'm going to pull, push, do everything I have to do to get them to come and see for themselves. Let me give you an an example, chain of events here. John the Baptist points everybody to Jesus. Andrew starts following Jesus, but then he goes and he gets his his brother Peter to come and believe too, which he does, and if it weren't for Andrew, Three thousand people would never have gotten saved on the day of Pentecost. Look at that chain of events. Each one is John the Baptist is preaching. Thank God for faithful men who have people come and go and they stay faithful preaching. Andrew, thank God that there's one who says, "I believe." I wish somebody would get saved every week. I wish people were coming in, but one was enough to worry about his brother, Peter. He goes and he gets Peter, and Peter, three and a half years later, preaches and 3,000 get saved. I'll show you another illustration, a little more up to date. A guy named Edward Kimball was a Sunday school teacher. He was concerned about one of his young Sunday school students, who was about 16 at the time, who worked at a shoe store in town. So one day, Mr. Kimball, went down and visited him down at the store where he worked and found him working in the back, stocking shelves. And there he asked him about his soul. And there, over the next hour, while at work, Mr. Kimball led him to Christ. His name was Dwight L. Moody. Dwight L. Moody left that shoe store to become one of the greatest gospel preachers and evangelists of all time. Moody, during his preaching in America back in the late 1800s, came over to England and preached in a little chapel and a young man with an imposing name, Frederick Brotherton Meyer. Sounds imposing, doesn't it? F.B. Meyer. And F.B. Meyer got saved. And F.B. Meyer got inspired by the preaching of D.O. Moody to become an evangelist, just like Moody. uh, Mr. Meyer, as an evangelist in England, got a chance to go to America and preach. And while speaking in Northfield, Massachusetts, a young preacher heard Meyer say, if you're not willing to give up everything for Christ, are you willing to be made willing? And that remark led a man named John Wilbur Chapman to respond with his life. He got saved and he responded to the call to be a gospel preacher. Chapman became one of the most effective evangelists of his time. Well, Chapman ran around preaching, and in one of his services, a young baseball player named Billy Sunday, an up-and-coming uh, 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 well um, uh, adept and very good baseball player of the day from Chicago, had come and heard in the Pacific Garden Mission, A a preacher named Chapman uh, give the gospel over and over again, and Billy Sunday got saved. And then Billy Sunday said, Baseball, gospel. Baseball, gospel. Gospel. And he put the ball and glove down, and he started to follow around and just volunteer with uh, uh, Mr. Chapman and just sit there. And one time, Chapman was so sick he couldn't preach, and he handed his notes to Billy Sunday and says, You preach. Billy Sunday had never preached a day in his life. All he had were these notes, handwritten scribbles by uh, uh, Chapman. But he got up and he preached with all of his his heart. And people got saved. And they said, do it again. So he went back to uh, Chapman. And he says, what do I do? He says, well, I got more notes for you. Handed him some, some sermon notes. And for an entire week, day after day, he preached. And he never stopped after that. Billy Sunday was almost instrumental in, in closing down all of the saloons and the pubs in America for 10 years. He brought in prohibition by preaching a dry sawdust trail that says, turn away from drink and turn to Jesus. And millions got saved. And the government had to finally put it in the Constitution: we will not sell alcohol anymore. Hallelujah, hallelujah. That was Billy Sunday. But he wasn't finished. Billy Sunday preached to a young boy, not even knowing he was in there, in 1924 in the crusade in Charlotte, North Carolina, and a guy named Mordecai Ham heard him preach. He was a 16-year-old skinny boy named Mordecai Ham, coming to that crowd every night spellbound by Billy Sunday and his preaching. Night after night, that teen came to hear the preaching, and finally he believed with all his heart that Jesus died for him, and he asked Christ to save his lost soul, Mordecai Ham got saved. Then Mordecai Ham got to preach one night. And there was one other man that you know very well about, named Billy Graham, who heard Mordecai Ham preach, got saved, surrendered his life to the Lord Jesus, and became. I mean, he's probably communicated the gospel to more people than any one man has ever communicated in all throughout history. Billy Graham. It all started with a Sunday school teacher named Kimball who sought out a young Dwight L. Moody working in a new shoe store. Dwight L. Moody went and found F.B. Meyer, gave him the gospel preaching. F.B. Meyer stirred up Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday stirred up J. Wilbur Chapman. Chapman preached to a young Billy Graham, and millions and tens of millions and hundreds of millions of lost people all over the world over the last just 150 years have come in song, seen that Jesus is real. Never understand, underestimate the influence you can have on this entire world just by sharing the gospel with just one person in a shoe store. Who knows where it's going to go? Final thought. <clears throat> Every time you find Andrew, you will find him bringing someone to Jesus. Take your Bible, look there in John 1, look in verse 41 again. Again first time you find Andrew, you find him finding his own brother, Simon. Go to John chapter 6 now. So he found his brother. What was his brother's name? We know him as Peter. All right. He secondly, he he brought a, he finds and he brings somebody with some lunch. John chapter 6, verse 5. When Jesus lifted up his eyes, he saw a great company come unto him, and he saith unto Philip, When shall we buy bread that these may eat? And he said this to prove Philip, to test him there, and he himself knew what he would do, and Philip answered him, Two hundred pennyworth. All he could count was the money in the bag. Two hundred pennies of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take even a little. But, verse 8, one of his disciples, what's his name? And unfortunately, Andrew is known as Simon Peter. Did you ever have a brother that you were named after? I was Craig, Bill's brother. I hated that. I hated that. Well, you know what? Andrew had to live with the fact he's Simon Peter's brother. All right, but look at this. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, Uh, uh, there's a lad here (laughs) which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? You know, when, when, when nobody knew where to look, Andrew looked around and he brought even a little boy to Jesus. He says, I found somebody with some lunch. Andrew's always finding somebody to bring to Jesus. One more. Look there in John chapter 12. John chapter 12 and verse 20. <clears throat> and there were certain Greeks among them. They're, they're, these are Jews. They live out of Israel, and they speak Greek. There were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the Jewish feast, and the same came, therefore, they went to Philip. Now, I don't know, maybe Philip was better looking, maybe Philip was more at the front, who knows. But they came first to Philip, which was of Bethsaida, of Galilee, and they desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus, we would like to talk to him. Well, Philip cometh, and he goes, and he tells who? He goes and tells Andrew, and again, Andrew and Philip... Go and tell Jesus. There's some guys here who want to meet you. So every time you find Andrew in your Bible, you'll always find him bringing people to Jesus. I would, I would say, doesn't Andrew kind of always think about people? He had a passion for the lost that I want. Now, what the world needs is the same gospel that saved you and me. What we need is a passion for. For the lost. And I would ask you this morning, see, preaching is not about what I do. Preaching is about what you do after you've heard me. Church is, is all about what you decide right now. And I ask you that you would beg God to break your heart about those who have no idea who Jesus is, messed up, confused, maybe totally ignorant of what he can do. Beg God to break your heart, and then beg him to use you to bring somebody to faith in Jesus Christ. Say, well, I'm not qualified. Oh, really? All you have to do is be a disciple yourself. You don't have to work on all your brain, but you do have to work on your heart. Be a lover of preaching. Don't be upset at me. Don't be upset when I'm not here. I had some, somebody said, you didn't tell us you weren't going to be here. So what? Love preaching. Love it, because God, by the foolishness of preaching, saves. And by the foolishness of preaching, calls us to serve him. Become very aware of those not in the kingdom with you, especially your family. Right now, let yourself be very broken over the fact so-and-so, who you witnessed to, maybe you care about, but you just left them alone, and you just realized they still need to get saved. They're not here. They're not serving. Be very aware of those not in the kingdom with you. Make filling the kingdom of God up with people your priority. Instead of filling your pockets. You know, God will take care of your pockets if you'll care about people. Amen? You ought to write that down. <laughs> That's a lebarism. And be super confident in just one big truth, Jesus says. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is what people are looking for, even though they want to say, oh, I don't believe in God. Yes, you do. You just don't want to admit it and be willing to compel, which means go after them, and then go after them again, and then go after them again. Because nobody really is going to respond to you unless they know you really care. does it mean anything to you. I love these words. Jesus just said three words, come and see. Nothing could be easier. Come and see. You say, I, 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 I can't explain the gospel. Good. You know what you can do? You can tell them, come to church. Come and see what God has done in a lot of people's lives. Come and hear for yourself what the Bible says. I don't have all the answers, but come and hear my pastor. Just preach from the Bible. Come and see. Could you ask? Could you say that? Come and see. Nothing could be easier. Here's some thoughts, and I'm done. If you are not motivated to win someone with the same gospel that saved your lost soul, then you should be very worried. Because I wonder if you got saved. If you used to be passionate about soul winning, you should be still worried. Especially because that means your heart has grown cold, selfish, self-centered. When Jesus saved you to go into all the world and tell everybody. I like how when Andrew, and do you know who, anybody know who the other person was that says two? Does anybody know who the other person was that was with Andrew? Hmm? No? No, who's with Philip, leaving John, and going to be with Jesus? It's John, the writer of the Gospel of John. So, usually in the Bible, when somebody's writing, they don't put their name in there. But when the two of them came to Jesus, remember, John and James were fired. John, we get this idea that John was such a nice, sweet, gentle, he was not. He and his brother were known as the sons of thunder. They got into fights and they argued and they wanted to call down fire from heaven and burn up the enemy. But when they started to follow Jesus, Jesus turned around and says, what, what, what are you looking for? And he says, where are you going? He says, come and see. He didn't reject them, did he? Let me tell you the good news. He won't reject you either. Well, I don't, I don't think God will take me. He'll take you. He cannot turn you away. Boy, if you'll just come to him, come and see if he's not true. Stand with me, please. Bow your heads. Father, we have sort of taken a journey into just one small event of the life of a kind of a, an unimportant man in the Bible in the overall big scheme of things, we think of Peter, we think of Paul, we think of Jesus, we think of Moses, we we think of Daniel, we think of all these well-covered subjects and people in the Bible. But right at the beginning of the Gospel of John, you say, look at this guy. Look at Andrew. So Lord, we struggle with I could never be a Daniel. I could never be a Moses. I could never be an Abraham. Jesus says, But can you be an Andrew? Lord is asking us to beg from the bottom of our heart Lord, give me a passion, not just an interest, not just a concern, but a passion for the lost. Because what else am I here for? Everything else I'm doing does not matter compared to the need of the lost. Help me have that balance back in my life where I love to tell the story. Lord, in this hour, people have heard the story. They may have heard it over and over. And they've never come to you and asked you to save them. They never believed that Jesus was enough. They're always trying to improve themselves. There are people maybe in this room who are always trying to refine their prayer life. They're trying to be more determined to be good, and yet they do not have eternal life. They've never been born again. They will die in their sins. I'd like to see them rescued this morning. Lord Jesus, please help somebody to look unto you and be saved. So all they have to do is look. All they have to do is trust. Let them do that today. And may the rest of us rejoice at one sinner that will repent. In Jesus' name, amen.